All right, I want you to open in your Bibles tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. While you turn there, I want to read a passage of Scripture to you out of Hebrews chapter 5. And I want you to listen to what the Word of God says while you turn and find our text. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12 says, "For For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, you say, preacher, why would you read that to us tonight as we found our text? Because... For the most part, I'm preaching tonight to the strong meat crowd. This is the Wednesday night crowd. This is the crowd that could be somewhere else. But instead, you've chosen to be here this evening. And the thing that I'm going to preach on tonight, some would say, why would you preach on that to the Wednesday night crowd? But there's such a thing as preventative medicine. You know what preventative medicine is, don't you? Something the doctor gives you before you're even sick. (laughs) Amen? And I want to preach to you tonight on two words, two ideas, and how they correlate one to another. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you this may not be the kind of message where I do a backflip, but I want to give you some truths that come from the Spirit of God, and I believe they're profound if you'll receive them. I've heard it said, and I believe this is true, that our spiritual maturity can be measured in how we receive preaching. Uh, And I think that's true, don't you? My, you know, we've got all these little ones running around here all the time now. And uh, my little son, when I correct him, he doesn't always receive it well. He doesn't always understand it. And part of my job as a parent is to help him understand it. And part of my job as a parent is to help him see that chastisement is an expression of love. And as he matures you hope that they begin to understand that when you've had to chastise or correct them, when you've had to give them things they disliked, it was for their good. Ideally, as they get older, they begin to understand this truth. One day they have kids of their own, and they parent them in the right way because they know that's what's needed. And so how he receives that strong treatment says a lot about his maturity. That's true of us as Christians. How we receive preaching is a good measure of our spiritual maturity. If the preacher gets up and preaches and we think he's mad at us, uh, we think that he's picking on us, we think that he's singling us out or this, out or the other, it's probably a pretty good indication that we've not had our senses uh, skillfully used by reason of use to discern both good and evil. But the Wednesday night crowd probably hears more preaching than anyone. And so tonight I'm going to trust you and I'm going to trust the Spirit of God that the preaching of the Word of God will be received in a good manner. Amen? We all friends? I hope that we are. First Corinthians chapter 4. Let's read verses 1 and 2. The Word of God says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, there's two words that are important that we read there, and they're both found in verse number 2. Let's read it again. Moreover... It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that you'd bless your word tonight. 
Lord, I know that in the infirmity of my flesh, there's nothing about me worth blessing. But as I stand justified in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, I know that you can bless Him, Lord. And if you can bless Him, you can bless me if I'll just yield to you. And I know that your Word can always be blessed. So I ask, Father, that you bless your Word to the hearts of your people and that much glory would be given to Jesus Christ through what takes place tonight. Penetrate our hearts with the truth that we need the most. We'll be sure to thank you for it. We love you, Lord. We love you for Calvary. We love you for grace. We love you because you first loved us. Teach us to love you more, Lord. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Two words found in verse number 2, and I think most everybody picks up on them right away, is the word stewards, or we're going to use the word tonight, stewardship, and the word faithful, or we're going to use the word faithfulness tonight. I want to preach to you on the, on the topic of faithfulness. What does it mean to be faithful to the Lord? Uh, is faithfulness directly correlated to the idea of faith? I believe it is. I don't believe those two words are synonymous, but I do believe they correlate one to another. I'd say that most every one of us, if I was to ask this just as a poll question, you know, when the, when the politicians begin to have elections, they always want these straw polls, amen? And I ain't never had a straw big enough to use as a poll, but... They always want to do these straw polls. Probably if I asked everybody in this room who wants to be a more faithful Christian, everybody would say, me. Everybody would say that. If I was to ask you, do you want to be more faithful in the way you read and study the Word of God? Probably everybody would say, oh, yes. More faithful in the way that you attend church. Now, I know it's Wednesday night crowd. Most of us would probably say yes. More faithful. And by the way, let me just say this. Faithfulness in the house of God doesn't always have to do with our presence. Let me say that again. I told you I ain't going to be doing no backflips, but if you'll listen to the statements I make, I believe it'll help you. Faithfulness to the house of God isn't always dictated by our presence. There's times people are providentially hindered from being in the house of God. I don't think they're being unfaithful, do you? My wife is at home tonight. And uh, the, the Lord has given me a good wife. I mean that. A wife that lets me lead. A wife that respects me and submits herself to the authority that God placed the man in the home to have. And she's a good wife. Now, if I had told my wife, honey, I want you at church tonight, she would have been at church. And she would have been here with a smile on. Nose would have been red and stuffed up. And... But she would have been here if I had asked her to be here. Uh, I told her, I said, honey, if you feel that bad, just stay home. And as her husband, I allowed her to make that choice. She didn't usurp that decision away from me. I gave her that decision. Uh, and I say this about, about my wife, and I would say it about a lot of other people that can't be here. Uh, I don't think that's unfaithfulness. You're providentially hindered. Let me say this too. Just because you're in the house of God doesn't mean you're really in the house of God. There's lots of folks that come into the house of God, and man, they're, they're here with their body, but their heart's somewhere else. If we were to say, I want to be more faithful to the house of God, I want to come in rejoicing. I want to come in excited. I want to come in prayed up, paid up, ready to worship, and ready to see God move. Probably all of us would say, oh yeah, that's me. I want to get in bed a little earlier Saturday nights, get up a little earlier on Sunday mornings, come in with a better attitude. Probably all of us say, yeah, preacher, I want to be more faithful. More faithful in your prayer life. I think most of us would say, I want to be more faithful in my prayer life. All of us have areas of faithfulness. But can I ask you something? Is faithfulness something that is accomplished through willpower? 
Now, don't, don't just give me that. You know how it is. Preacher gets up preaching. He asks a question, and, there, and half the people go, Hey, man! And the other half go, Hey, man! You know. I mean, think about what I just asked you. Is faithfulness accomplished through willpower? I'd say you couldn't find a Christian that doesn't want to be more faithful. But what does the psalmist say? The psalmist says that, that, that uh, the faithful man faileth, that the godly man ceaseth. The psalmist looked around and said, hey, it's tough to find folks that are faithful sometimes. So I'd propose to you that faithfulness is not necessarily accomplished through willpower. To say that faithfulness is accomplished through willpower is to determine that every person that wants to be faithful and is not faithful is a liar or a failure. I'd say to you that faithfulness is not accomplished through willpower alone. I'd say that faithfulness is directly correlated to our love of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I would say this, that there's lots of folks that love the Lord that want to be more faithful. And it's not because they don't love Him. But what's the key to faithfulness tonight? I want to give you three thoughts, and, and I don't know how this is going to go, but if you pray for me, I'll pray for you, and we'll get through this. Amen? I want to say a word about the attitude that is intrinsic to faithfulness. What's the key to being faithful to the house of God? Some of us can remember times in our life when we were more faithful. Some of us can remember times in our life when we were less faithful. Some of us can look back at times when it, it seemed like it was just a, a chore all the time to get to the house of God, and we can praise the Lord and we can say now that we seem to find it easier. Other folks can look to a time when it, it seemed just so easy uh, to get to church or to read their Bible or to pray or whatever it might have been to serve the Lord. The things of God seem to be easier, and now there's something heavy about it. What's the difference? Could I propose to you that there's three attitudes that we have about the things of God? And when I use the, the term attitude, you, you could use the term approach. Three mindsets, three philosophies about how we do the things of God. And I think that most Christians fall into one of these three categories. I'd say, first off, that some folks are indifferent to the things of God. Now, I, I don't, and I don't necessarily mean folks in, in our church, although I'm sure it would be true of some of them, but, but typically... Just speaking of church in general, that's typically your Sunday morning crowd. It's not that they're opposed to the, to the things of God. It's not that they don't want necessarily to go, but it seems like something always just wins out. And if they can be there, they will be there. And if they can't be there, it's no big deal. Or maybe that's true of their Bible reading. Let me tell you something. I remember one preacher said it this way, and I can't, I've heard it in the past few days, uh, and I don't remember who said it, but it stuck with me, that, uh, that it's not tough to get in the prayer closet, but it's awful tough to get the door closed behind you. You've heard that before. Maybe in your prayer closet, you, there's some folks, they'll pray if something goes wrong, but then when things are going right, they don't pray. They'll pray over a meal. They'll pray if they're asked to pray. Prayers take it or leave it thing. Same thing studying your Bible. I'm excited about this Bible study. You know what excites me about it more than anything? Is how much it drives me to study, personally, as a pastor. I mean, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, there, there's, there's times when, when, as a preacher, you take an easy road and you shouldn't. But when you're, when you're teaching the Bible, not just preaching what my old preacher used to call sugar stick sermons, not just getting up and finding a topic and saying a few things about it. But when you're opening the Word of God and expounding it to people, it, there is no type of preaching that demands more than expository preaching. 
And it drives me to study the Word of God. I, I went out and I bought, we were talking about books. I was talking to somebody on the phone yesterday about different books and commentaries. And I, I went out and, and spent about $80 just on commentary, just on the minor prophets. I mean, it drives me to study the Word of God. But I'm going to be honest with you, there's times it's tough to study the Word of God too. There's times that it's difficult to do that. And some folks, if they've got a question, they open their Bible. But other than that, they never do. They have no deliberate and determined time that they spend with God or the things of God or the people of God or serving God. They're just kind of indifferent. If it's convenient, if it's easy, they'll do it. And if it's not, they won't. Let me just say this, that, that the devil will only let it be convenient long enough for you to feel like you're a good enough Christian to not be worried about it. I told you. I warned you. I wish there was somebody back here I could look to. Somebody needs to come up here and sit here so I can turn around and say, I told them. I told them it was going to be like this tonight. The devil will, will let you serve God just enough to appease you and just enough to make you feel like you're okay. But he won't let you serve God all the time if he can help it. It'll never be comfortable. Some folks, they're indifferent. If it's easy, if it's comfortable, they'll serve God. Then, then there's a second category. You know, you've heard this said before, and I, I think that, that there's maybe some truth with it, although I'd take issue with one of the points. They say that, that folks, the Sunday morning crowd loves the preacher. And that's what I'd take issue with. And they say the Sunday night crowd loves the church. And they say that the Wednesday night crowd loves the Lord. Well, I don't think you can paint with that broad brush strokes. But, but let me say this, that, that if there's a notch above indifference... It would be feeling invested in the things of God. Some folks serve God because they feel invested in it. In other words, my marriage ain't going to work unless I'm serving the Lord. My kids aren't going to turn out right, or my grandkids, or my nieces, or nephews, or whoever it might be, they're not going to turn out right if I don't live for the Lord. And I think there's some truth to that. I think it's good to be invested in the things of God. It was a great day in your life when you began to realize that you and God had more to do with each other than just salvation. Great day in your life when you realize that the way you live has an effect on the way that you live. And some folks feel invested. And they go because they know the impact that's upon them. But I'd say there's a third category. And this is where I really want to focus ourselves tonight. It's good to, to be in, invested. Certainly better than being indifferent. But then there's a third category, and that's to, be, to feel as though you've been entrusted with the things of God. That's really what stewardship is, isn't it? You know what a steward is. A steward is someone that, that has been given something, entrusted with something that does not belong to them, but they have the responsibility to do with it that which would please the person who loaned it to them. In other words, if I was to come to you and say, I'm going out of the country for six months, I can't take care of my house, I need someone to be the steward in my house, and I'm going to trust you to live in my house, you know that one of these days I'm coming back home, one of these days I'm going to want it back, and when I get back I'm going to expect it to be in good shape. It's not yours, but it's, it's yours to do with until I get back. You know the key to real faithfulness? is when you begin to feel entrusted with the things of God. Not enough just to feel invested. You know what? That's why you can't bully and browbeat people into serving the Lord. When, when your entire focus is to say, hey, if you don't serve God, the, the, the sky's going to begin to fall and your life's going to fall to pieces. There's a lot of truth to that. But you know what I found? Most of the time, that don't move people. I'm just being honest. Usually, that don't move people. You know why? Because they feel like, well, it's my life to do with as I please. 
people that are truly faithful, it's because they've grasped this concept of stewardship, whether it's in their, their giving or their prayer life or, or their, their study life or in, or, or in their, their, their church life. Whatever it is, they've grasped hold of this truth that it's required in a steward that a man be found faithful. The only way you'll ever get faithful to the Lord is through stewardship. That's the only way. These two ideals of faithfulness and stewardship, you'll find, are, are consistently presented in the Word of God together. Christ told several parables concerning stewardship, and always it spoke of, of a servant that was unfaithful and a servant that was faithful. And so these two ideas are scripturally connected and inseparable in every way, shape, fashion, and form. Only when we really realize that nothing belongs to us will we do with what we have what we should. As long as we feel like it's ours, we feel like it's ours to do with as we please. When we begin to see our finances, and I'm not going to preach a lot on money tonight, uh, but when we begin to see that our finances are a gift from God... That is, that is not, by the way, a gift for us for our comfort or for our pleasure, but that we've been entrusted with those things so that we might glorify Him through them. I said tonight already, what, no, God won't be a debtor to anybody. Don't think God's going to leave you in the ditch somewhere starving to death. He already made the promise that He wouldn't. Don't be scared God ain't going to take care of you. If you use what God's given you for the Lord, you'll find that He'll bless you for it. And that's where you learn the real key of why God prospers some and doesn't prosper others. It's not because some plant a seed and others don't plant a seed. It's not because it's not some, you know, send in their money to the TV preacher and others don't. It's because some have gotten this understanding that the only reason that God blesses us with temporal things is so that we might advance His kingdom and do more for His glory. Then the more that we do for Him, the more He can entrust us with. Because it's not ours, it's His. And we're a steward. That's true of the Bible. Or stewards. What's Paul's context? Stewards of the mysteries of God. You understand that God didn't just give you this book to keep you from crying and weeping. God didn't just give you this book to give you joy and peace. I mean, that's true. But you understand that God gave you a sword when He gave you this book. And, and He gave it to you to do something with. So that you can reach others. What did Paul say in Hebrews chapter 5 that we read? For, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers. Teachers. Ministering the Word of God to the heart's of others, he said, you're as newborn babes, desiring the milk of the Word rather than the strong meat. We're stewards of this book. We're stewards of the prayer closet. The prayer closet is very, very similar in principle to, to our giving. Uh, the, the same principles that apply to the way we give apply to the prayer closet. Uh, the prayer closet is sort of like God's giving, but in terms of faith. People say all the time, I want more faith. Well, then pray more. People say, well, I, I want to see my prayers answered. Well, then have more faith. Because they are always directly correlated one another. God doesn't answer your prayer so He can give you a new car or a new house or whatever. God answers your prayer to increase your faith. And so the more that you invest your faith in time of prayer, the more faith God will give you and the more prayers God will answer. Not so that He can build you up and fill your coffers but so that you can look to other believers and reinvest that faith that you've put and that prayer time that you've put to look at them and say, hey, you ought to pray because God hears and answers prayer. And it increases our faith. Only when you grasp this principle. And the same thing's true about the house of God. 
The same thing. God didn't just give us the church to help us out and bail us out. I'm glad that the church is a help to us, aren't you? I mean, man, church is a help to me. I came in tonight, and, I, and I'm going to be honest with you, I came in tonight thinking, well, you know, it's Wednesday night, and, and don't get spiritual on me. You thought the same thing. And then come in here, and God's people start testifying, man, and rejoicing. And my heart just filled up. I'm glad church will do that for you. But church ain't here just for that. You've been entrusted with the local church. You are just as much a part of the local church as the pastor is. And I'd say that in many ways you're just as important to the, to the operation and to the instrumentality of the local church as the pastor is. This is not an ecclesiastical hierarchy, friend. I'm not the shepherd. I'm the under-shepherd. The under-shepherd, he wouldn't be much if there were no sheep. Isn't that right? Now, we all know the sheep need an under-shepherd, but I think we've all got a good understanding of that. Not every church understands that. Some churches think they can be sheep without a shepherd, but I say this proudly. Let me brag on Walridge tonight. I believe Walridge understands the importance of an under-shepherd. Let me just say as the under-shepherd that the sheep are pretty important too. Under-shepherd ain't got much to do if the sheep ain't there in the fold. We've been entrusted with this thing. And only when we approach it in this way will we really find faithfulness. It's not just through sheer willpower. I've seen people try to do that. I've tried to do it in my life, man. To say to myself, that's it. I'm going to do better. And I always fail. Every time. I'm going to do better. I'm going to do more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to study more. I'm going to give more. I'm going to. And I always fail. You know what really has changed in my life? When I begin to see that I can't do it, God can. And what I can do, it's only because He has entrusted it to me. When I realize that if I, if I withhold my tithes or if I don't study the Word of God or if I don't pray or if I'm not faithful to His house, I'm robbing God of what is His. I'm not just misusing what is mine because He's given it to me. But I am robbing Him of what is His that He's trusted me with. Let me tell you something. We get so used to this idea of God blessing us and giving to us. And I believe God does that. I'm not trying to minimize that in any way, shape, fashion, or form. But, but sometimes I think the danger of that in saying, look at all the things God give me. Look at all the things that God has done for me. Is we want to stop there. And we don't want to go a step further and saying, hey, God, give it to me so that I could use it for His glory. God did it for me so that I could praise Him amongst the heathen and His name would be magnified. Stewardship takes us beyond just the initial praise and into a place where the things that God has done for us become the things that we can do for God. That's why a lot of folks, God's good to them and God blesses them, but they don't ever do anything for Him. They haven't grasped this concept of stewardship. They praise Him, they glorify Him, but they don't do what is intended through that blessing or through that gift or whatever God's done for them, and that's take it a step further and use it for His glory. I think there's an approach that we ought to have. But let me say this. I want you to see the absolute important importance of faithfulness. I want you to notice three things that we see in this passage. How important is faithfulness in our Christian walk? Now, I don't just mean to the house of God. I don't just mean to tithe. I don't just mean, but I mean in everything. To be a faithful Christian, how important is it? Well, I say first off that faithfulness is a scriptural requirement. The Bible says, moreover, it is required in a steward that a man be found faithful. Unfaithfulness, listen now, I told them, didn't I? <laughs> Get ready. Here's, here's your T-bone. This is, this is strong meat. 
Unfaithfulness is sin. Sin, because the Bible commands us to be faithful. Not just in church, uh, but, but in everything in life. To be unfaithful in witnessing is a sin. You know, you always meet folks that say, well, I'm just not that kind. Well, that's funny because God commanded you to be that kind. God's not going to command you to do anything that you can't do. There weren't no stipulations. It doesn't say, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature unless your name's Toby Weber. That's not what it says. I'm commanded to do that. And so when, when I am, am unfaithful in witnessing, that's sin. It needs to be confessed, repented of. You know, a lot of the reason a lot of us don't ever get past the things that we struggle with because we won't confess and repent of them because our pride's too big. And we don't want to admit, because if we admit that that was sin, then we're going to have to confess it the next time that we do it. Boy, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just for me tonight. I am preaching at no one in this room stronger than I am myself right now. You know why? We, we don't want to confess and repent of it because we fully expect to live that way again. And if we acknowledge it, then it's a problem. And if it's a problem, then it'll be a problem the next time. And we're afraid. We're afraid. See, faithfulness is a scriptural requirement. It doesn't say, moreover, it's recommended. <laughs> uh, moreover, it's a good idea. It says it's required in a steward. And let's just look at the basic scriptural context. Not much of a steward if you're not faithful. I'm going to pick on mom and dad. When I went to camp two years ago... And I went, Mom mentioned this on Friday, and if she hadn't mentioned it, it wouldn't have even come to my mind. But I, I had a dog at that time. And uh, we went to camp. And I told Mom and Dad, I said, now listen, his name was Brody. I hated that name, but that was his name whenever that we got him. And, he, and so I said, you're going to have to go by and feed Brody. He's a big old brindle boxer. I said, you're going to have to go by and feed him. I mean, this wasn't no little yapper. I mean, he needed, he needed food. And we went up to camp, man, and I, you know, I'm not thinking about that dog at camp. I'm just up there preaching and God's moving and folks getting saved and God's being good to us. And, and on, on the way home, I called him and I said, hey, you know, I got, I got the whole thing, the whole van packed up and everything. And I'm riding home. Hey, yeah, camp went great and everything. And, hey, how's the dog? And mom said, what dog? And I said, my dog. What do you mean, what dog? She said, Oh, <laughs> he was alive. Man, he's hungry. Let me tell you something. You might as well not even have a steward if a steward's not faithful. You might as well not even have a steward if a steward's not faithful. It is a requirement to be a steward that we be faithful. There's lots of folks that are Christians, but they're not good stewards. See, when you really understand stewardship, it will require you to be faithful. That's it. Because if you're not faithful, you're not a steward. We see it's a scriptural requirement, but let me go a step further. Not only is it a scriptural requirement, I would say uh, that, that it is, it is, uh, faithfulness is a safety requirement. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Now, I really want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. I, I believe it's important because once our faithfulness is gone, there's no stopping us. There's no stopping us. I started with this message saying, you know, that some would wonder, why would you preach this on a Wednesday night, preacher? you got the most faithful crowd here on a Wednesday night. The reason why is because just very often, a lot of the Sunday morning crowd, they can't take this strong meat. They won't receive this kind of preaching. They won't receive it. But you that are here tonight as a means of preventative medicine, I want you to understand that, that once you're comfortable with being unfaithful, 
there's no stopping the complete downward spiral of your spiritual walk. Can I, can I just say this? And I say this as, as a church member. Believe it or not, I'm a church member here. I mean, I, I moved my letter and everything. I got it somewhere to prove it. I say this as a church member. Let me take the pastor hat off and let me just be a Christian and a church member for a moment. And let me say this, that preaching is what prevents us from, from getting more backslid. So when I read my Bible in my personal devotion time, God speaks to my heart and convicts me. That keeps me from getting more and more backslid. When I go into the prayer closet, I know that it's in vain to go to the prayer closet. If i got sin in my life, so i got to confess it. And it keeps me from getting backslidden. Now, what's going to happen if I quit going to church, if I quit studying my Bible, and if I quit praying? There's nothing to stop me from getting more and more backslidden. You know what keeps me a lot of times? You, you know, it's not uncommon for me. I mean, I don't... I, when I'm, at, I, I'm always preaching... You know, I'm usually not getting preached to. I preach to myself some. But I'm be honest, I'm a pretty pitiful preacher, and I need something better than that occasionally. And I'll listen to CDs, and I'll listen to sermons. It's not uncommon for God to convict me. Just walk. I mean, open the door of my heart, put on His, his golf cleats, and just walk all through my heart and soul. I need that. I need that. God has to convict me sometimes. Now, if I get out of the environment where God can convict me, where does that leave me? It's a, it, it's, it's a safeguard, you see. To put ourselves consistently in the prayer closet or in the Bible or under the preaching of the Word of God, that's a safeguard from us getting further and further from the Lord. And you remove that and there's nothing to stop. You ever notice how it's easy? And it doesn't matter which of these three or four things we're talking about tonight. Have you ever noticed that, that when, when you become unfaithful just one time, the second time's easier? And then the third time and the fourth time and on and on and on and on. Can I say something? Nobody can keep you faithful but you. Nobody. The best church, the best preacher, and I'm not saying anybody in here has either of those, but the best church, the best preacher, the best spouse, the best kids, the best father, the best mother, nobody can keep you faithful but you. You've got to do it. There, there's a lot put sometimes in, on, on, on churches. And I, and I could say on the pastor, and that's true sometimes, but I don't want to. I want to say on churches of people wanting the church to meet all their needs, wanting the church to fire them up. You ever stop and think that maybe it's you ought to be firing the church up? Nobody can make you faithful. Nobody can keep you faithful. That's between you and God. And, and I will say this. I had to make my mind up as a pastor when I first started pastoring that I wasn't going to try to keep people in church through bribing them, bullying them, browbeating them, begging them. It's not my job. It's not the church's job. It's between you and God. It's on you to do that. I don't say that because I have no interest in doing it. I don't say that as a point of pride or, or, or a stubbornness or unwillingness. It's just I've learned this simple truth. I can't keep you faithful. The church can't keep you faithful. Only God and you can keep you faithful. You've got to do that. And you have to get to the place where you see not just that unfaithfulness can hurt you, but that unfaithfulness is a sin against God. And you've been entrusted with these things from the Lord. Only then, then and then alone, will you see a difference. Let me give you a third thing, and and I'm going to hush. I may just leave during prayer. I don't know. I want to say a word about the accountability involved in faithfulness. 
Notice our text again. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be what? Found faithful. Can I give you a little phrase I jotted down that the Lord laid on my heart? How you live is how you'll be found. That's how you'll be found. How you live is how you'll be found when Jesus comes. If you won't live faithful now, you won't live faithful then. How you live is how you'll be found. And as I read this passage, I see three groups of people that we have to be faithful to. Three people that God gives us that are going to find us. Three people that are, that are going to find us. That don't bother me. This altar is open all the way through the service. Man, you need to go, go. That don't bother me. We'll just preach on. Three people that are going to find us. Can I say that, that first off, we ought to be faithful because we're going to be found by our Lord. By our Lord. He's going to find us. Now, I believe that there's two applications to that. One is when the rapture comes. And I believe the rapture is coming. And how you live is how you'll be found. Whatever level of faithfulness you've got, that's how faithful Jesus is going to find you. Whatever sin you live with in your life, that's how Jesus is going to find you. You say, I'll be ready for Him. The Bible says He's coming in a time when you think not. You hear people talk all the time about if they're willing to die for the Lord. I found this. It's much easier to die for the Lord than it is to live for the Lord. Because living living is a matter of perpetuity. Somebody came in here and stuck a gun to my head and said, Did you die for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? I find it a lot easier to say yes to that than I find it is to say no to my flesh tomorrow morning and the day after and the day after and the day after. I think we're, we're going to be found by our Lord at the rapture, but I think we're found by Him now. I think we're found by Him now. And I would just ask you this question, and I ask it to myself. How does God feel about my level of faithfulness? As, as Toby Weber, how does God feel about my level of faithfulness? Am I faithful enough to witness? Am I, am I faithful enough to pray and to read my Bible? Faithful enough in the house of God? You say, oh, preacher, you're the preacher. You're always here. Oh, I don't mean just my presence. I don't just mean my presence. I mean when I come through the door, how am I coming through the door? Because that has to do with faithfulness too. I think we're going to be found by our Lord. Let me say this. I think how we're found by our loved ones. And let me say with the loved ones. I mean saved loved ones. And I mean, I mean with our church family. You ever stop to think that your church family watches you? Cora, they watch me. I'm, I'm the pastor. But they watch you in some ways more than they watch me. You know why? Because they expect me to maintain a certain level of spirituality. They expect the pastor to be that way. But they look around to one another. And I don't, I don't advocate this idea of, of, of the pastor being a step above. And that's not the case. But there's something in our minds, and it has to do with a, with a generational respect for the, the office of a preacher. And I think it can be a good thing to have that respect for, for the office. But in some ways, the average church member would not see a pastor as their peer. I'd say we are their peer. But some folks wouldn't see it that way. But you as a church member, folks see you as their peer. You ever stop and think that, that maybe, maybe if, if folks saw you faithful in studying your Bible, they might study their Bible more. You ever think if folks saw you faithful in the prayer closet, you say, oh, well, preacher, they don't know about the prayer closet. The Bible says we're to, we're to pray uh, secretly in the closet, but the Bible also says that your Father will reward you openly. I mean, it, it got, the only prayers that God doesn't answer are the ones we don't pray. 
And if you say, man, God's been answering prayers, one thing folks know about you, you're a praying person. And they're watching you. I'd say our loved ones, but let me say, and man, if you can't guess it, you ain't heard enough sermons. But I'd say how we're found by the lost. By the lost. There's no telling how many folks that Toby Weber is the excuse they never accepted Christ. I can labor the rest of my life to try to make a difference in the lives of others, but I know when I get to heaven that there's going to be folks whose excuse for not being a Christian is the way that Toby Weber lived in front of them. They saw my unfaithfulness. My unfaithfulness in in witnessing. I had to apologize to a friend just the other day because I, I had known he was living in sin and I hadn't done my responsibility, not as a pastor or preacher, but as his friend, to rebuke him for it. And, and now he's in a mess. And I told him, I called him by name, and I said, I, I want to apologize to you. I've not been the friend that I should have been to you. I should, I, I should have rebuked you when I knew you were living in sin and I knew you were doing things. And you might not be in the mess that you're in now if I had been a better friend to you. I was unfaithful as a friend. I, he said, I probably wouldn't have listened. I said, well, maybe not. But it's still my responsibility as your friend to do that. You see, there's folks all around us that we can make an impact in their life. But I tell you right now, man, a sinner won't give a plug nickel for an unfaithful Christian. They're not interested in anything you've got to say. Your lost family. We got folks in the room, and I got lost family members. We got folks in this room that have been praying for lost loved ones. And I've been praying for lost loved ones. And I'll tell you right now, they don't care a thing about our testimony if it's unfaithful. We'll never reach them. We'll never win them. They see unfaithfulness in our life, whether it's in in the house of God or prayer or or in in the Word of God or in witness, whatever it is. When they see that unfaithfulness, that is a stamp on your life that what you've got is not real. Now, it may not be true, but in their mind, that's the way it is. Now, I've got loved ones watching me, and you've got loved ones watching you, and we've been praying for them together. You and me, we've been praying for those, you for mine and mine for yours. How are we living in front of them? Are we being faithful? I can tell you right now, there's effects to our unfaithfulness.